Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends trade media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Erin. And I'm Layla. And today is our 101st episode, which is insane. And therefore, we have a beautiful little clip show for you. Uh, This is a great episode to start on. It's a great episode to share. uh, And we hope you like it on this fine Memorial Day. In the spirit of uh, Zemnis talking like a LinkedIn CEO. Oh, no. <laughs> so our good friend Robert Pattinson um, famously <laughs> hates these movies. And as Aaron lightly brought up earlier, is a little bit unhinged in interviews. Um, the man has lost his hinges. And I love that for him. I love that energy. Um, so I would like to know, Aaron, if you can tell the difference between something that uh, Robert Pattinson has said in an interview versus a shit post on Tumblr. Okay, good. I'm excited. I'm excited for this. Great. Uh, uh, round number one. Women get to smell like real things. Men get to smell like concepts. Ooh, that has big Tumblr energy, but it's also such a wild thing to say. I think it's a RPAT quote. Incorrect. That is a Tumblr quote. Dang However, it. he he did say, lots of people tell me I smell like a crayon, like I'm embalmed. <laughs> that's really <laughs> So that's round two. <clears throat> I really hate vaginas. I'm allergic to vagina. Did he... Did Robert say this? That was Robert Pattinson. What? Robert? Why? <laughs> Talking about um, having to be in a scene with like 12 nude actresses for like <laughs> 11 hours. All right. Sure. Round three. I still kind of want to be a rapper. I was a rapper named Big Tub. I was called Big Tub and the Tabby Cats. There's no... <laughs> This, ha- this has to be a shit post because there's no way Robert... No! There's no yes. way Robert Pattinson was a rapper named Big Tub and I didn't know about it before this very moment. <laughs> Dude, Robert Pattinson was a rapper named Big Tub and the Tabby Cats. Whew. Okay, round four. <clears throat> I once heard a theory that the Loch Ness Monster is actually the ghost of a dinosaur and since it's harmless, I've decided to believe it. Okay, I feel like I've seen that one on Tumblr. Okay, yeah, that's a Tumblr one. That's a Tumblr one. That's a Tumblr one. Okay, round five. Final one. I'd prohibit boring people. In my opinion, there's nothing worse. The people who are boring should be in prison and be forced to learn to be creative with the other prisoners. What? (laughs) I mean, of course this is a Robert quote. That is a Robert quote, yeah. It's so wild. It's such a wild and specific thing to say that, of course, it's a Robert quote. Three out of five. Great job. Not bad. Uh, Not bad. Love that big tub of the Tabby Cats gotcha. Gonna download that album right now. <laughs> uh, honestly, I'd listen to it. Eve, on the other hand, fucking 
rules because what did she say? She said, I'm going to take your eyeballs and shove them down your throat so that you can watch me rip your carcass open with my claws. That shit rules. She that was a fucking raw time. line. That was a great line in a film that was desperate for any sort of uh, narrative heft. Um, yeah, I mean, she's like a weird, like, overbearing waspy type um i i guess as much as a wolf from canada can be a white anglo-saxon protestant but um you know she she's she a she wolf anglo-saxon Anglo protestant ah, there we go <laughs> there's her episode title uh, <laughs> You're right. um but basically yeah i mean like she, she you know it, it has a lot of high demands for her daughter but is also very protective of of kate doesn't really care that much for lily um I, I guess she's just like you know she's very worried about preserving the social the status and and the caste system which i don't love about her but you know i'll i'll allow it i guess because she she you know scares all the other wolves with her like uh propensity for explicit violence i think one of my favorite eve moments that wasn't like an explicit threat was uh when lily tries to get her attention to be like i can show garth around while kate's gone um, she just turns around, she goes, not now, honey, mommy's in a rage. <laughs> yes, that's very, that was very good. I like that. One of the um, only shining light moments in this slog. Yes, I agree. Um, how you feel about our boy Garth? He's a Chad. I mean, he's, he's extremely, like, he is the archetypical alpha, right? <laughs> he's an alpha's alpha, um, and he doesn't know where the clitoris is. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> All right, Maybe. so let's explain that, um... Go ahead. So, so this is a kids movie, right? Um, I had to explain this to my wife earlier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh god, she... you didn't you didn't call me in. You didn't make me have on Discord for that. No, I didn't. I didn't want two people to watch me embarrassingly explain this. So you can't you can't talk about sex, explicit sex in a kids movie, right? Although they do kind of do that. At the, it's fine, but like. The metaphor, the euphemism for sex that they use is howling. That's why the alphas and the omegas can't howl together, right? That's polluting the bloodlines or whatever fucking racist shit that people who believe in caste systems love. Um, but, like, basically, when Garth and Kate, you know, hang out and they're, like, trying to introduce, you know, get to know each other, Kate's, like, really impressed with Garth. He's like, oh, he's really big and strong, and he does all these fucking lifts. Uh, you know, he works out a lot. He's really into fitness. Um, but they demonstrate that he is sexually impotent by the fact that he, you know, he does this howl, you know, this 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 big howl that is, like, just, it sounds like, ooh, it's, like, you know, intentionally very bad. And they followed that up with him looking barreling the camera with those wolfish eyes and asking was that good for you uh and i had to go for a walk afterwards because that was that was the kind of sunday that i was gonna have <laughs> it gets worse it gets worse because kate is like i'll be right back and she like starts to leave and he's like wait <laughs> You're leaving? She's like, oh no, I'll be back. And he goes, okay, I'll just, I'll just keep my vocal cords warm for you. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then she goes and she runs into fucking Humphrey, which wild. And he's just like, who takes a break ten minutes into a howl? And she goes, me, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, my lizard king. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're both weebs. I think we're both a little bit more inclined to like Godzilla. 
Uh, he seems like a cool, you know, we, we, we stand Kaiju. We stand a big, big fire breathing lizard. We, we hate nuclear war. Um, Godzilla is great. Yeah, truly. Uh, I love that he, his, uh, little back ridges, uh, they show us when he's charging, uh, like any good accessory. <laughs> so that also ch- charging just made me remember that c- they say that Kong's axe is charging when he puts it in the little dock. <laughs> he charges his axe up and it's really good. And it also starts glowing much like Godzilla's back ridges. And you need that because then Godzilla charges the axe with his cool nuclear breath. Uh, mm-hmm. And helps him fight Mechagodzilla, um, who, all right, we've got to talk about Mechagodzilla because the what they posit is that <laughs> Ghidorah's brain is in Mechagodzilla, right? And then he's, he's, like, connected through the DNA in the skull. But Ghidorah's three skulls are strategically, like, placed around the world, like in Hong Kong and wherever the other two Apex facilities are. Like monster Bluetooth. It's wild, but yeah, basically they're using magic slash telepathy to to pilot Mechagodzilla like a fucking RC car. Um, but also, poor Ren Sarazara has to like fuse his consciousness into Mechagodzilla, which of course gets taken over by King Ghidorah. Um, and the the thing. The thing that is wild about Mechagodzilla is that, like, the reason that they're going to the center of the Earth is to get, um, basically, like, you know, unlimited energy, right? They think that in the center of the Earth there's going to be a, an energy source that is super powerful and that'll, like, you know, solve all solve all of Earth's energy problems, but actually it's just to power Mechagodzilla. And um, Elon Musk's daughter sends them that sample by basically getting a little crab droid, taking a little bit of nuclear energy out of the core and then scanning it and uploading it to the apex facility like basically just like hey 3d print this out and then like they don't they don't talk about it they're just like oh you got the upload that's gonna make our energy better they don't talk about like physically building a new battery like none of it makes any logistical sense and it's just like nope we we, <laughs> we took a picture of it and now we have unlimited power and now godzilla godzilla is ready to roll and that rules I mean, that's how I'm powered. It's like if you if you scan a picture of like a mean white haired anime boy into me, I'm powered for like a week. <laughs> I'm glad that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> I can't tell what's. Uh, it's just that the nuclear energy at the center of the earth. <laughs> is to Mechagodzilla <laughs> as white-haired anime boys is to Layla, which does make me think that um, Mechagodzilla uh, is a lot hornier than we saw in the film, and I wish that uh, we had a little bit more on-screen time with that. Uh, I support him in his conquests. Um, I stand here uh, in, in support of my allosexual friends and colleagues uh, while I hang out in the, in the ace spectrum, but yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I have faith in you, first of all. But I think, you know what? Let's talk about what the creators of this film extracted in order to make seven sequels. Yeah, so despite the fact that we think this movie is is horseshit, um, there are there are a lot of direct-to-DVD movies that followed it. There sure 
Sure are. Would you like to guess at the names of Kate and Humphrey's three kids? I will give you a hint. One of them is just straight up named Runt. One of them has a human name, and one of them is named an adjective. Okay, so we got Runt, a human name. Uh, I think that will be the... I I assume there's two boys and a girl. So um, I'm guessing the human name is just like Jenny. Uh, And I think that the adjective is named... um, Hmm. What's a thing that Humphrey does? Uh, I think um, it's not. It's not like an adverb. It's 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 a thing, a bad thing someone could be. Okay, uh, misogynist. <laughs> so misogynist Jenny and Runt. Yes. Um, close. Uh, their names are Claudette, Stinky, and Runt. Stinky, of course. Stinky. Yes. Yeah, you want to name not your a son Stinky? Normal thing to name your firstborn <laughs> son. Excellent. Um, cool. What? What holiday is this film about? I'm assuming. I'm assuming Christmas. What's Correct. the title? It's What's the title howl- of this one? It's a holiday adventure. Yes. Okay. So um, the second it's about one Christmas. is okay. It, it is a Christmas special. You know, fuck it. Um, sure. I want to get to the interesting ones. Yeah. So, um, what? <laughs> The next motion picture film is called Alpha and Omega 3, The Great Wolf Games. What do you think is the the inciting incident of these here games? What was the inciting incident of the Olympics, I guess is the question. Like, is this some fucking Peloponnesian War shit? Um, God. I bet the inciting incident is that um, they have to auction off Claudette as a prize to unite a different wolf clan and she will be betrothed to the winner of the great wolf games all of the alphas that are supposed to be competing in the great wolf games suffer a terrible accident and are injured and put out of commission and they're <laughs> what and then uh, uh good news our favorite side character that we haven't brought up yet the the bear that has a personality he mm-hmm. comes back I guess I guess the uh, uh, the puberty bear puberty hasn't hit him yet, where he loses his humanity and becomes yeah. You, just a- <laughs> you stop being a person and a bear once you hit once you, once you age thirteen years old, uh, and you stop you lose the ability to speak and you just become a bloodthirsty monster. It's fine. Uh, great, good, excellent. Let's so I, about, I oh hold God. on. So the cast so the cast system still exists at this point. They haven't eliminated yeah. it. Yeah. They just they just abolished the rule that said alphas and omegas can't marry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so good. We haven't had any fundamental... We have had a small change to the society. I guess that's good. I guess that's progress. Fucking... What's our next holiday special? Uh, so this is the, the legend... Wait, this is not the Legend of Sawtooth Cave? This is Legend of Sawtooth Cave. And, and it's a holiday special. It's a holiday special. What holiday? And it's not, it's not Christmas. It's not Christmas. I think it's Easter. I think it's when Wolf <laughs> Jesus <laughs> rose from the dead. And yeah, they go. That's the Sawtooth Cave. That's how they know that the cave mm-hmm. that the, <laughs> the Sawtooth Stone was rolled away. <laughs> so it's a Halloween adventure. Okay, I guess that's fine. 
Um, and uh, after exploring the haunted Sawtooth Cave and finding a wolf who has been driven away from her pack, Runt musters all of her courage to help her. That's the IMDb summary. Very enlightening. Okay, is um, that is that special wolf a ghost? It seems like that's what they're getting at. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a special ghost wolf. So ghosts are real in the Alpha and Omega uh, universe. Cool. Um, now we're coming up on Alpha and Omega 5. Family vacation. Family vacation, yeah, because when you're a wolf, sometimes you gotta get away from the wolf office. <laughs> um, Pack up for a howling fun movie adventure God damn it. filled with action, laughs, and tender moments as Kate and Humphrey take their pups on their first family vacation. Uh-huh, that sounds about right. Do you know where they're vacationing? Um... I- no idea. Um, however, I did just pick up a. Layla looks like she's been struck. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on. Um. Layla has not opened their eyes <laughs> in several seconds. So. You're straight, so this won't make any sense to you. Nope. <laughs> The theme song for this movie is King by Years and Years. Okay. Years and Years is a good musician, is the thing. Hmm. That I listen to actively. Well, I mean... Is the thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, Mr. Years and Years, I guess. Um, I mean, this sorry. is the fifth best uh, Alpha and Omega <laughs> yeah. movie, so maybe it's great. I, you know what, I'm, if this is what helped kickstart his career, uh, God bless. Um, the thing I was trying to get at that's written next to this fact that just blew my bonk open um, is that uh, which of the children do you think is the oldest? Um, I think it's uh, Claudette. It's Stinky. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, you... it was the firstborn. Excellent. The first, the first son. Mm-hmm. Stinky. As soon as he was out the womb, Humphrey was just like, oh. Mm, I don't think so. All right, let's talk about Alpha and Omega 7, the big freeze. We're not going to talk about Journey to, to Bear Kingdom? That's next. Oh, is it? I must have had them in the wrong order. Seven? Um, no. Well, Journey to Bear Kingdom isn't numbered is the thing. Oh, okay. But Very we can't well. talk about it. Let's just dip into it now that yeah. I'm on the page. Because this is that's the chronological release order. Well, thank you very much for informing me of the chronological release mm-hmm. order. Yeah, I've got to get Omega. the time. We're, we're some research-focused podcast. <laughs> What year did this come out in? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> 2017. That's not that long ago. <laughs> Donald J. Trump was president of the United States when this movie came out on a And you can DVD tell movie. based on the audience rating. You can tell that things got worse in 2017. When the Queen Bear and her daughter, Princess Canoe, <laughs> visit right. the Eastern Valley, an epic war breaks out. Mm-hmm. Rogue Wolves versus the Western Pack and the Bear Army. Now it's up to Sticky Claude and Rut to help Princess Canoe return home to regain control of her kingdom there's a lot of fucking factional like racial like conflict going on in the alpha and omega universe there's a lot of violence that would i'm you not like thrilled to know, about would you like to know the one trivia fact yes please the last film animated by digitalis studio in india which permanently closed shortly afterward mm, mm. ripped ripped to the motherland um uh, this is modi's fault i know it 
I would like to read you the top review. Oh, good. <laughs> <clears throat> Not the Alpha and Omega that I know. That's the title. sequel is the worst movie i have ever seen in my entire life alpha and omega is my favorite and this sequel ruins it this is just completely bad please bring back the alpha and omega i know and like please i beg you i can't believe we found the person that makes up the alpha and omega demographic that Wow, okay, we'll talk about our data in a sec, but you can really tell this must have been, this is the split that where the, the fans turn on the franchise. The, this person's review on Alpha and Omega, the original. Oh, you found their original review, excellent. Absolutely. <laughs> My favorite movie of all time. This review was left on March 3rd, 2018, I just want you to know. Um, I love this movie so much. It's really good. I highly recommend to everyone who hasn't seen this movie to check it out. Sequels are good too, except for Journey to Bear Kingdom. Do not watch that. Also, I love A&O and its franchise. Now, this sounds like a young person, so like yeah. I support them for I'm, being I'm sure. for being true to their heart. Um, but the fervor with which they address this is still funny. It's hysterical. Uh, have you ever meet a read another book person except it's for the Alpha and Omega franchise? <laughs> I do, I do. Too bad they haven't left a, a review on, uh, now we're back, uh, to Alpha and Omega, the big freeze. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, now, I do want you to understand that at this point, uh, Ben Diskin is still Humphrey, but uh, wow. Hayden Panettiere has been gone since movie two. Thank you. I'm so glad that Hayden has standards. She is gone. She's too busy being sidelined in a different franchise. In Kingdom Hearts 3, yes. <laughs> um... So, Kate and Humphrey set out to look for food to store for the winter, but caught up and trapped by a deadly blizzard. Now it's up to the pups, Stinky Claudette and Runt, along with the help of Brent the Bear Cub and sure. Agnes the Feisty Porcupine, to mm -hmm. find the two missing wolves and bring them back home safe and sound. So this is the the goat story of Goat Story Two of of the Alpha and Omega franchise. Goat uh, story? Oh boy. Yeah, uh, so that's a Czech children's film. I'll send you a video about it. We don't. Okay, thank yeah. you. Um, but but it's another movie where the parents go missing. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so I don't have any thoughts on this one. It just is, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, top review says left me ice cold. One out of ten stars. Got him. <laughs> Fucking hire this person for your writing team. For real, uh, truly, and that's for f u r for real. Yes, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, so, we've been uh, alpha and omega pilled. This is terrible. <laughs> um, I am a wolf girl. You do know that about me, right? Yeah, I know, one hundred percent. Okay, great. So now this is where I wanted to get to. This is the yeah, the yeah, alpha, yeah. if you will, of mm -hmm. of the sequels. Um, you know how if a franchise goes on for too long, <laughs> they eventually they eventually have to go to space, right? <laughs> this is this is uh, the other aspect of that. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Alpha and Omega Dino Digs. You may be asking, hey, doesn't the Alpha and Omega franchise take place in the modern day? And the answer to that would be yes. <laughs> Forced to relocate their den, Kate, Humphrey, and the pups befriend Amy, a dinosaur, who what needs to stop digging before a T-Rex's spirit emerges, just like hers did. What? Now they will have to work together <laughs> before it's too late. So they're not even 
It's just dinosaurs. They're dinosaur ghosts. Yep. Yeah. I can't believe this one got a fucking 3.5 on IMDb and a 1.3 on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie sounds like it fucking owns. Yeah, um, it was so uh, I watched this movie a couple days before you did. And it was the same day um, I went on like a really long hike with my dog. And I came back and I had just taken a hike. I had just taken a shower. I ate like a shit ton of carbs. And act two of this movie drags so fucking hard i was just melting into a little puddle at my desk like i can't and at some point i just paused the movie i was like i a bitch needs a yerba mate a bitch needs a coffee i literally drove myself to tim hortons got myself a coffee came back and then i unpaused and there is this turning point in the movie where it goes from super boring to completely unhinged and i unpaused and i went right into unhinged and i went if i had just sat still for five more minutes i would not have needed the fucking coffee (laughs) You're you're not saying that your your bad sleep schedule and you know carbo lording didn't spike your insulin to increase your deductive capacities. Uh, no, that's me and how I sit with one foot tucked under my thigh. You homophobe. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is that when when El, when El says that if he doesn't sit like a, if he sits like a normal person, his deductive capacity decreases by forty percent. And I was like, that's just every bisexual person. I Do know. you not know, watch me while we record these things? I'm just like sinking into my chair constantly. <laughs> I am. I am. Not. I am. Listeners, Aaron has sunk into his chair. His foot is now above his head. He's oh, he's coming back. He's got a good goblin this is, face. This so, is you. <laughs> no, we fuck you then. Fine. Let's see. Let's see, Mister Stanfield. Let's see if this works. Oh my god! Please don't hurt yourself. Layla has a gamer chair. This could go so bad. No, we're here now. I'm squatted in my chair. <laughs> I'm finishing the podcast like this. Hear me out. Okay. I really love what you have written down here, which is okay. that we need to make Olivia a princess. So we skip time skip. Well, Olivia is technically a princess, but like. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, he's already a princess. But yeah, we're going to make her at least 18. Exactly. Hear me out. We go Resident Evil in this bitch. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Because the implication here, right, is that she has somebody who looks exactly like her that isn't related to her. What if that's like a, you know, umbrella style genetic experimentation thing (laughs) and it goes wrong? (sighs) And like three Olivia's have to overcome a zombie apocalypse yes uh we we get yes um that's how we get vanessa and hudgens that she's she's been kidnapped and it's revealed that all of these three were actually genetic clones <laughs> by the abstergo corporation and now olivia training with her other clones and also i guess i want kevin and peter because i think i want both of them to have more screen time um probably fiona too i think fiona doesn't get kidnapped um uh, I want them all to have a fucking <laughs> to fight zombies in Christmas Switch or Princess Switch Four. <laughs> what if? What if? What if? The people who get kidnapped are Edward because he's such a simp. Like I just can't. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd go with her this time. Yes, of course. Um, Margaret, and then. They think they got Fiona, but it's actually, um... Stacy. Oh, 
no, not Stacy. Uh, um, what's her? Well, they already got Stacy. It's okay. actually uh, the the female henchman in a wig. Oh, Maggie. Maggie. It's Maggie in a wig, which leaves Fiona, Peter, and Kevin as like the mentor team to coach the Olivias. Mm-hmm. They have okay. to train Olivia <laughs> to figure out how to be Vanessa and Hudgens. But Olivia's at that fucking ballet academy. Mm-hmm. So she and Kevin, part of the movie has to be the journey to Montanaro. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Good. Uh, hey, Vanessa. Vanessa. Call us. Call us. We're available. Um, We're so ready. Layla. Mm-hmm. I see you. Yeah, I see you too, buddy. <laughs> I see you. I recognize you. I know you. Yeah. yeah. And I and I know that you had a great time with this week's pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a great I mm-hmm. I mm, yes. I'm yes. sensing a little bit of hesitation. Do you want to talk about how you're feeling right now? Yeah, I, f- I fucking hate this movie, my guy. Oh it's no. Really bad. Put your your death record. <laughs> yes, I want to talk about that because uh, there's a hint system in the game that your parents are introduced by like these phone booths that are everywhere and you can call them and get hints. Um, I really like this hint system because your your mom shows up and she's like, okay, yeah, let me give you uh, you know uh, a generic but like not too. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a vague hint. It's like, here's what you need to do. You need to go to Blackberry. You need to find this next tree. You need to go to this town or whatever. Um, and then she's like, oh, it, you know, there's a hand that reaches out. And he's like got his little fingers like twitching for the phone. And she's like, oh, your dad wants to talk. Um, you know, he gives the most detailed advice, like very clearly being like, this is going to be like a very specific hint. Um, you know, like telling the player that directly. And she's like, should I put him on? Or, or do you feel like you don't need this hint? And most of the time, the first like, you know, couple hours i was like oh i don't need it but then i was like oh actually i feel bad leaving my dad you know off the hook i'm gonna i'm gonna say yeah i'll, I'll talk to him I don't, I don't need this hint or whatever uh smash cut to this raccoon i was like wait i <laughs> my dad's a raccoon <laughs> um very funny um but yeah i, I you know your parents are you know they, they don't pay, play a huge part but they're supportive and they're they're kind and they um you get to hang out with them sometimes yeah, um, I found out that dad was a raccoon because I made it all the way to uh, Potluck before I ever took <laughs> a phone call with him. Um, and he caught me outside of the donut shop that he owns, uh, which designing that donut was one of my favorite. <laughs> it's just design a super fancy donut that could not be physically possible um, and brought me a great deal of, of, of glee. Um but he started talking to me, and he was like, okay, I'll see you at home, kid. And I was like, what? No. Who are you? <laughs> and I went to my parents' house, and I saw my mom and my raccoon dad. It's like, what? <laughs> what? Listen, uh, we're, we're all fan- fans of, you know, multiracial, biracial characters here. Um, it is very funny to me that you, your mom, and your sister are all, like, dogs, golden retrievers, and your dad's a raccoon. I was like... I guess, I mean, adoptive fan rings are a thing, but, like, it's very rare that the dad is adopted. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> just a stepdad. Um, I don't know, but I love that raccoon. I think he's very funny, and his little hand animation on the phone call is... <laughs> good um there's also uh you you just mentioned uh, your sister clementine i love clementine um talking to her was always really comfortable 
or, or comforting. And I liked having some of the, like my favorite moments in games, period, are just like hanging out um, and going to get a slice with uh, Clementine and going to get a uh, donut with Chicory were like some of my favorite moments in the game, especially because Clementine was like, hey, buddy, are you like, OK? <laughs> and, and you know, the main character is like, you know making it through mm-hmm. and clementine is like you don't have to say yes to everyone is that what's happening are people just coming up to you and asking you for things is and is that why you're so stressed and i was like yes in real life <laughs> absolutely yes people just come up and ask me for things and i i feel compelled to say yes and that is why i'm so stressed clementine i don't need this from a 2d golden retriever right now <laughs> um but she's she's a delight and uh um i always like uh running into her Yeah, uh, I think Clementine is kind of like the platonic ideal of what this game wants an artist to be, right? You know, she she is one of those people who attends school at the academy and is like very, um, you know, she's interested in art. She likes art, but she's also not like when you tell her that, that, you know, you're the wielder, she's she congratulates you. She's proud of you. But like she doesn't like she's not jealous. She doesn't like care. You know, she's only concerned about your, your health and safety, um, which is an interesting foil to her friend, Radish, who, if you, um, took classes at, you know, the, the, the art Academy, her, her friend is extremely jealous. And it's just like, wow, this is the new wielder. And like, is, is very giving you a lot of side eye. Um, and, and I think that's an interesting pairing and it shows that like your sister is very much like, the kind of person, uh, you know, that you would hope that, you know, not only a family member, but like any other person who you are close to in a creative field to be like, yeah, uh, creating is great. It's important. Um, and also it shouldn't be everything and you should feel completely 100% comfortable being like, I don't want to do this thing for you. Yeah. And the thing with radish is, is interesting too, because especially in like creative fields, um, but I mean, in, in most things you get told, that, you know, you work hard enough, you put the time in, you put the hours in, you'll, like, get wherever you want to be. Um, and, like, I understand, you understand uh, uh, Radish's frustration with the fact that she is putting the work in and she wanted to be the wielder. And then someone else just happens to be at the right place at the right time and, like, falls into the opportunity. So you kind of understand the resentment, but the way she handles it is so messy um, that it's just... Um, you know, you, you want her to maybe be a little, to maybe, maybe, maybe evaluate that for herself, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you ask herself I mean, some questions. The thing is that, like, that's me, though. Like, I 100% get the instinct to be like, I've worked very, very hard, you know, especially when you come from, like, an honor student bubble, and it's just like, I did everything right, and I still haven't been given my A, and I don't understand why. <laughs> Yeah, the honor student bubble, I think, is is one of the single most uh, insidious causes of, like, mental health issues in people our age. Because, mm-hmm. man, I we've been out of high school for 10 years almost. 10 years for you, yeah, and yeah. gonna be 10 years for me. Yeah, 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 because I'm a year, you, yeah, I'm a year ahead. And uh, still untangling some of those webs 10 mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. And still, still haunted by literally uh, the some first things. like creative thing I ever wor- wrote was about um, somebody who graduated as a valedictorian, and then was like, "Well, that doesn't that didn't mean anything. What what do I do with my life now?" Um, that was the first <laughs> novella I ever wrote. Um, so yeah, still <laughs> now I didn't write it that long ago either. So 
still working through that, I think. Yeah, I think I think we'll be unpacking that damage for a very long time. <laughs> Let's talk about L slash Ryazaki, um, who is another iconic character from this program. Uh, like you said, he's just like a big goblin with weird green hair. Um, he never wears socks or shoes. He's always like sitting hunched up like with his knees pulled to his chest because it apparently increases his brain capacity by 40% or something wild. Um, I like L. I also like L. Um, I wish he had a better context in which to exist because I do think he's kind of a delight. I, I, ooh, the only thing I struggle with with L is I'm hoping that the, um, show wasn't trying to like intentionally frame him as neurodivergent but instead just like a weirdo you know because Mm -hmm. if they were trying to make him up to be some sort of like neurodivergent genius it was a really gross depiction but if he's just like a little goblin freak he's really funny (laughs) like it's he just sits funky all the time and stares unsettlingly and does incredibly gay shit with light like it's it's really funny um and yeah, I do enjoy him, and I don't know why I got so sad when he was, like, washing Light's feet, which I'm going to need you to explain the allegorical context of that to me later. Um, but he said, uh, you and I will be parting ways soon, and I genuinely teared up. I was like, <laughs> what is happening? I hate this show. <laughs> I thought L was about to suck his toes, so I was very upset. <laughs> I'm Misa Amane, apology tour win. <sighs> Honestly, we need to add her to our um, pink girls who have been betrayed list. Sakura, Kairi, Misa. I feel like I'm missing one. Hinata. There's more. There's I mean, always like we more. can't. Just, I mean, every woman in Naruto, but like, there, there's more in in the medium in general. Um, but yeah, anime Misa uh, is you know she's like a big fan of Kira. You know, she's, she's also a little bit of a Mary Sue because she's a model and, you know, an actress and, and is very popular or whatever. Um, and that's fine. Good. And she, she's in love with, uh, light. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, in the musical, I think she probably has the best arc. I mean, it is still very much based on the anime. So like, it's not incredible. She's still extremely, you know, it is a plot point to advance, um, you know, lights lights uh character but like i think it's pulled off well and she does get a little bit more depth and and i appreciated that she writes a pop song signaling to with hidden messages for kira that she's the other kira wink uh and i think you put it in your notes it's like what if ariana grande was actually a psycho killer i was because okay listen <laughs> in this one like the we get introduced to misa's character as a pop idol um and the first like lights taking his sister uh sayu to to this concert because she's a big fan of misa and misa starts the the concert by being like this song is dedicated to our lord and savior kira uh and i just thought like man if ariana grande was just like hey the psychic murderer that's destroying people in our prisons uh is actually uh really cool and i'm in love with him that would be awesome <laughs> I mean, honestly, she was about one step away from going in that direction when she was dating Pete Davidson, I think. Like, she was real (laughs) close to a daddy's little monster face and got out of it. Um, So I wouldn't put it past uh, Ariana Grande. And all her songs are bops, so... 
you know, maybe I would be the one in the alley with a two by four smacking L on the back of the head uh, for our Lord and Savior Kira, which is a thing that happens in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Um, okay. Layla. Mia sucks. Mia. Uh, wait, talk about. Do it. Talk about the sticker. I can't bring myself to do it myself. She has. So we see Mia's open locker when they're preparing for her homecoming. First of all, she gets light a top hat. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, like a circus man top hat, <laughs> a greatest showman, um, a little greatest show murderer top hat. Um, it does leave us with her open locker. She does have pictures of her and light in there with a sticker in the oh my god American Horror Story font that does say normal people scare me you all remember the mid-2000s right where people would have like the the mean rabbit with fun sayings on it and like that was one of them is just a setting on a washing machine it's so contrived and like listen if they are trying to portray a certain kind of character that's all they need because like yeah now i have every bit of information i need about mia um, but, like, it's not a good character. It's not somebody I give a shit about. It's, like, somebody I'm actively rooting for to get written out of the story. Who is the audience? Who? Who is it? I want... Hey, hey, listeners, are you the audience? Mortifiedpod at gmail.com. Tell us, please, describe. What are your viewing habits? I want to know what your Netflix queue is. Please, tell us. <sighs> Unhinged. It's absurd. And, like you referenced this before her whole thing is that she becomes interested in light turner because he can kill people he like basically immediately shows her the death note and you know like it it doesn't have the same role where she can see the shinigami if she touches it which is weird but like she he proves like like using a live computer stream i guess that he can kill people and that is the biggest fucking turn on for mia turner it really does it for her in a way that uh is uncomfortable and that basically becomes her whole character is normal people scare me and i love it when my boyfriend murders people uh and it sucks when we say horny for murder we mean like physically horny for murder like they they it's those two fuck yeah, it's not subtle. Like, they are making out and writing names and, like, getting naked in between, like, murdering people. It's fucking stupid. It's a montage. It's bonkers. Um, that being said, the relationship sucks because, well, like, just sucks even in the context <laughs> of the story. Because the end confrontation is them in a Ferris wheel. And Mia's like, did you write my name in the book? And Light's like, you wrote my name in the book. And they just argue and then Mia dies. It's, it's a lot. Um... Rem is not in the movie. Yes, let's talk about Rem. I think actually, actually, Rem is spared. You know, they they wrote Rem out of the movie, and I'm actually a little bit grateful for it because we didn't have to see our one of the most interesting characters in Death Note um, get treated like shit. Who of like Willem Dafoe's caliber do you think would have done her voice? <sighs> yeah, I mean, you're gonna make fun of me, but my first thought was Dame Judy Dench. Oh my god. <laughs> Can you, know, you imagine? <laughs> she did Cats. You know? She's been in worse she, adaptations. Judy Dench, yeah, I think Judy Dench would, has like the unhinged repertory, or repertoire that you need 
to agree to a project like this. Either Judy Dench, or I think if she were still with us. Um, Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Yes. Yeah, oh my hundo. God. I wish uh, we don't, we don't deserve. That's why we live in the bad timeline and the good timeline. <sighs> Carrie Fisher is both still with us and did Rem in the, in the, you know, fucking Oscar winning <laughs> adaptation of the death, <laughs> of death Note for Netflix. If Carrie Fisher did Death Note, I would unironically become a fan of the entire pro- franchise instead of just the musical. I do, I think, listen, I don't have any, like, scathing reviews for any song in Phantom. I think they are all at least fine, right? Yes, yes. So, like, some of them are just meant to get you from point A to point B. That's fine. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, it's whatever. They're perfectly workable. But yes, fine. I do need to shit on one song in Love Never Dies. Is it Love Never Dies? No. Oh, what is I it? Think Love Never, I think Love Never Dies is fine. Okay. I think it's beneath the moonless sky. Okay, yeah, and listeners, you'll remember we already did this uh, <laughs> fifty episodes ago. And we're gonna do it again, um, and we're gonna do it again and then again beneath <laughs> the moonless sky. <laughs> I have never in my life wanted two characters to just fuck on stage and stop singing like I do during Beneath the Moonless Sky. And listeners, not for sexy reasons, not for sexy reasons. Just because I'm tired of Christine and the Phantom standing there being like, hey, man, 10 years ago we fucked. And I've been thinking about it every day since because I guess you have a magic lasso and a magic dick. It's so long. It is It is seven minutes long. And then it's followed up by Once Upon Another Time, which is like another five, six minute song about how much they still want to fuck each other. Here's the fucking thing, though. It's not a seven minute song. It's two songs. It's two songs. Listen, that scene goes on for fucking ever. I define that scene as the moment Raul locks out the door to the moment that uh, 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 Phantom leaves, right? So, like, to Mm -hmm. me, that is that scene. Five! Five songs! Mm -hmm. And none of them move the plot forward. It's so slow. The pacing just absolutely drags. Act one seems like it takes forever. And, like, it's so... It is so, and you think that this man who's written, you know, like two dozen fucking musicals at this point would know how to end and act. Like, Beauty Underneath, if you had made Beauty Underneath the last song in in Act One, like, okay, fine, that's a good way to end it. But no, then it comes with Phantom Confronts Christine, which is just like, kind of like, hey, anyway, all this stuff that we've been very heavily hinting at the whole time, uh, we're going to say it out loud now, just so you know, in a not especially good song. But we did spend, you know... Roughly twenty minutes of this musical's runtime, just talking about how good that ghostly dick was. It's just and, like I can't, I can't. And that's with you, a Andrew. theme that comes back. That is not the first time they talk about the Phantom's good dick. And also, by the way, by the way, uh, Phantom confronts Christine is the song I was talking about earlier when when Christine unprompted takes the songbook and is like, "Your music won't go unheard." The other thing I need to talk about is that during Phantom confronts Christine. Madame Jury pops up out of a cone. <laughs> and she's just like, I see. It's your son. And now we must compete with your son's legacy, which doesn't make any fucking sense, but okay, whatever. Why um Why is the refrain from beneath the moonless sky start playing? Did Madame Jury fuck <laughs> Eric? Uh yeah, I was like, was this a weird menage a trois? Like, I don't know. Uh- <laughs> Cause that's that's the sex song. 
that is the horny song. Hmm. So why did Madame Giri solo end in the orchestration from Beneath the Moonless Sky? I think just Andrew was just like, oh, I need to put something here. Uh, did she touch him and she held him? Don't. Don't do this. <laughs> Layla, um, what do you know about Bella? Tell me about Miss Swan. Uh, Aaron, is she even Italian? <laughs> So this is this the like quirky romance stuff that I think is really great, right? There's stuff where Edward brings uh, Bella home to meet his vampire family, and there's this whole scene where they're like preparing dinner, and like they walk in on them having this conversation. You know, Rosalie doesn't really like Bella, and she's just like, God, I don't like this human girl. <laughs> she, her, her name's Isabella. Is she even Italian? And they're making pasta for her. It's so funny. Uh, it rules. Um, and there's just so many little bits like that, despite the fact that you know. Kristen Stewart's, you know, acting was famously lambasted in in this series for being stilted and and non emotive. But I honestly don't think that it was that bad. I mean, I think that's just how te- a lot of teen girls are if they're just kind of depressed. Um, and Bella is depressed, so. Uh, Kristen Stewart does the absolute best she could possibly do with that material. Um, Bella does not do a whole lot, and she's got two moods, which is just inquisitive and horny. Um, And I think she really does as much as she could possibly do uh, with that content. That being said, you did refer to her as a not-like-other-girls girl, and I would like to disagree with that as an expert in girl subgenres. Please. Um, So a not-like-other-girls... Dr. Mamadova, the floor is yours. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, a not like, a not like other girls, girl. Uh, it will actively reject female companionship and uh, will say things like, "See, this is why I don't hang out with girls. There's so much drama. This is why I only hang out with guys." But actually, she does pretty good uh, with the two female friends she has, who are Anna Kendrick, and I will not be referring to her by her character name because she's just Anna fucking Kendrick. Um, and Angela, who I think is a treat, and she's a strong, powerful, independent woman, as the movie refers to her as. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Bella uh, falls into the subgenre of quirky. It's just a little weird, you know? But she doesn't reject female companionship, so I think I would like to, to you know, establish that as the area expert. No, you, you're you completely right. My point is refuted. Uh, yes, Bella Bella has female friends, and despite the fact that I don't know that she's an especially good friend to them, you know, she doesn't hate them. She doesn't try to distance herself from them very much. She's just more interested in Edward. And, like, you know, I get it. Not, not a whole lot of options, you know, not a whole lot of opportunities in this life uh, to date a vampire come up and you got to make you got to cut some folks on the roster so sorry anna kendrick sorry um <laughs> angela uh, yep there you go <laughs> <laughs> scroll down that one um, well, her name her name maybe gets brought up once so i also did forget angela's name and yeah. had to look it up um but yeah um you know, I, I think the, the the biggest criticism of you know this movie is that yeah bella doesn't have a whole lot of agency um I mean, she does actively, like, sort of do her own research and figure out what's going on. But, you know, a lot of the key moments, she relies on Edward to save her. Um, and that's, you know, m- maybe that is part of the appeal of, of paranormal romance. Uh, you know, we talked about Jupiter Ascending, how it's kind of nice to be like, oh, I have a cool uh, weird wolf boyfriend who, who comes to save me. Um, you know, maybe that's part of the genre. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a cishet. I don't, you know, romance is not necessarily my thing. But I... 
I thought she was a fine, if, you know, kind of, um, she's a, she's a tabula rasa, right? Like the purpose of paranormal romance is for people to be able to relate to her. That's kind of why she's there. Yeah, I mean, just to switch over to my other PhD, which is being a doctor of monster fucking, um, (laughs) I will will, uh, say that uh, I don't think she relies on him to save her so much as he just kind of like shows up (laughs) all the time. Um, He is a little creepy. We'll talk about Edward in a second. Um, But I will say part of the appeal of of monster and paranormal romance is um, one is that it allows people who are generally othered in society to like have another other to lean on right so like guillermo del toro's uh oscar winning monster fucking yeah masterpiece shape of water um does rely on you know a woman with a disability who falls in love with this uh very tight-assed fish man um but then the other thing about having like a, a monster or paranormal um romance is that um part of the appeal is the monster partner being harmless to you right like there's an element of danger but they are protective of you i don't think that element gets executed in twilight very well because edward is a stalker um but that's kind of the vibe it's trying to go for anyway edward's a stalker with the skin of a killer (laughs) yeah um where to begin with with Light Yagami? Um, so, like you said, he's an honors student. He's he's like literally the smartest kid in Japan. Like he gets number one in all the national tests. Um, he you know he receives a a death note no you know a magical notebook that allows him to enact his will on people. Not only does it allow them, him to kill them, but before he kills them, he can control them and you know send messages and and do all sorts of wild shit. Um, he's also very unrealistic because like we've been hinting at, uh, he doesn't know fucking anything about how normal people work. Uh, and yet also he is mysteriously very popular. Uh, you know, he's able to call up, you know, girls from whenever, uh, and just be like, Hey, do you want to go on a date? Because there's a, you know, when he was trying to get Ray Pember to follow him, he calls this girl and has this, her go on a fake date with him. Um, and like she, the the girl says like oh I'm so excited to have you all to myself it's like are you ma'am have you met Mr Yagami before because <laughs> I wouldn't want to fucking spend the whole day at Disney World with him <laughs> that's for goddamn sure yeah this petty gay redditor is uh, not a fun and good time uh, and like <sighs> he is so. Everything he does is so contrived and so stupid. Literally, if he would just shut the fuck up for a second and not be a reactive scumbag whose hubris literally unravels his plans multiple times. Bitch, just sit on the internet. People are bringing you tips. What are you doing? Why do you need to look at any why do you need to seek out any criminals for yourself at this point you just you just go down the fucking tip line you've established that's coming in globally and that's it like write a bunch of names in your notebook go about your life what are you fucking doing he's so literally he he gets caught at the end in in no small part because he declares victory in front of the people investigating him before he finds out that his notebook got faked fucking 
idiot. He's so painful to watch. There's the worst part of this whole show for me is like anytime him and Riyazaki are trying to like outgame each other, because it's just so much internal narration, it drives me bonkers. The tennis match. So Light and L go to college together. Um, L, you know, pretends to be a college student and Light graduates high school. And they end up being roommates for like one episode. <laughs> and um, in order to, you know, Light, it, during the ceremony, L tells Kira that he, th- or Light, that he thinks he's the murderer, Kira. And so L's very like paranoid about, or Light's very paranoid about that. And to, you know, they have this ch- this tennis match, which is supposed to, you know, be them playing psychological mind games to figure out, you know, whether or not they're actually who they say they are. Because Kira thinks he's L, and, you know, or Light thinks L is L, mm-hmm. and L thinks Light is Kira, who he is, and there's this whole fucking long sequence with them just, like, blasting these tennis ball, and also they're both, like, tennis stars, like light was like the you know like the second best junior tennis player in in japan when he was in the fourth grade or whatever um and l used to like you know he went to wimbledon or some shit like it's really incredibly contrived just like oh by the way i have this whole new skill set that i just you know have and you know i haven't played tennis in a long time but i'm also playing at like a grandmaster level and you know this whole time they're just like okay well if l thinks that i'm Kira, Kira hates to lose. So because Kira hates to lose, I have to make sure that I don't that I don't get upset if I lose. But maybe that's what he wants me to think. And if that's the case, then I have to win. And then it's just like this constant internal monologue that is just bonkers. Um I think this happens again. One of one of the most egregious examples of this is like when there's that, you know, when his light's dad drives the car into the hospital and like, you know, because other officers had gone there and like had been seen and then died immediately. And L makes the deduction immediately that there is a second Kira, like and also that he has extra good superpowers. And it drives me up a wall. It's just like this show is making so many leaps of logic that are just like this. Does, this doesn't play, take place in the real world as much as you want it to. It takes place in a fantasy world. Where everyone's like, oh, yeah, somebody's just like psychically killing people. That's normal and reasonable. Yeah, it's like <sighs> Light's whole thing is just very much like, hi, my name is Light Darkness Dementia Raven Yagami, and I have medium length brown hair with, well, no streaks, I guess, and uh, red eyes like the blood of my enemies, and a lot of people tell me that I look like a J-pop star, and if you don't know anything about J-pop, you get the hell out of here, and it's just so, I hate him, you know, (laughs) he's just, He's the worst Mary Sue, and he's so boring, and none of his shirts fit, and I fucking hate him. Um, uh, something that's even more uh, fascinating to me than the, you know, the mid-2000s era of filmmaking is perhaps the career arc of Mr. Jackman, um, which I, I understand you have some research uh, to, to enlighten us about. But, like, it is so wild that, like, you know, Hugh Jackman for a long time was known for making, you know, for being Wolverine in, in all the X-Men films. But, like, he, he, Wolverine really isn't his defining trait. His defining trait is doing wild, weird shit. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about, you know, this in Greatest Showman. But, like, Mr. Jackman is just really out here with some stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And not just as an actor. Um, I would like to take us back to just post the Van Helsing days uh, in the year of our Lord, 2006, um, the year that gave us Death Note uh, and me in sixth grade. And uh, Mr. Jackman, executive produced a television program called An Aussie Goes Barmy. What? Yes. Uh, That is a television program from 2006 that is a reality show about cricket. Mr. Jackman executive produced that. Okay. (laughs) Uh, He similarly produced in 2008 An Aussie Goes Bali, which is a cricket documentary with Hugh Jackman in it. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah, he narrates it, and it's his friend who plays cricket is is the star of it. So um, there's also in 2009, wait for it, we're not done with the Aussie series. It's the Aussie goes Calypso. What? <laughs> uh, and it's another thing Hugh Jackman narrates. Um, so, you know, we love that for him. Uh, okay. Mr. Jackman uh, had a couple of roles before. Uh, we, we mentioned Oklahoma. He was just doing kind of whatever. A lot of television roles, actually, before he hit his X-Men uh, uh, stride. So he only did X2 X-Men United before doing Van Helsing, and then he did a bunch of other um, X-Men films. Um, Mr. Uh, Jackman has lent his vocal talents to several animated films, among which are Happy Feet, <gasps> Flushed Away, What? And Rise of the Guardians. Oh my god! We know him also as Jean Valjean on Les Miserables. Of course, naturally. <laughs> naturally, of course. Uh, as we said, he's also in uh, Oklahoma. He loves himself a, uh, you know, a musical. Um, we've covered uh, The Greatest Showman on this program. Um, I would like to also let you know that there is... A the greatest showman colon come alive dash live performance that is on video that was recorded the same year as Love Never Dies twenty seventeen oh that God. is available um, and let this be uh, as I wrap us out of of a little bit of a dive into I'll say a gloss over the career of Mr Jackman um, a little bit of foreshadowing for this program. Listeners, he did play Blackbeard in Pan, which is a movie we will be watching. So, oh, y'all, I cannot wait for that horrible, horrible day when we finally watch the Pan 2015 film. Yeah, so that'll be probably early next year because we've got November plotted out. Uh, in December, uh, longtime listeners will know uh, we do some some fun end of year stuff for two weeks in December, and then we take two weeks off. But when we come back. Pan time, baby. One thing I thought I think is interesting is the way that the internet is deployed, like the way that like light is so dependent on the news broadcasts in this in this series, because like, you know, it takes place in 2007, I believe, or maybe 2006. But like, I believe it starts in 2003 and then time skips to seven. Oh, OK. That, that makes even more sense, because like, like light uses the internet a little bit, but I think the internet from you know 2003 is so much different from the internet now that like i think that 
if we were to, you know, reboot Death Note, right? Like, we would have to change so don't, much about it. I mean, listen, we're not that. going to. Don't speak that into the world. Don't we do it. We wouldn't do that. If we have enough money to do that, we will just send all our money to lawyers and, like, have them, you know, sue whatever studio is making that into oblivion because we want to protect you all because we are the gods of this new world and we're creating a new, <laughs> wonderful, peaceful paradise for you all. But, um... <laughs> But like I just I just I cannot stop thinking about the subreddit for Kira what that would be like and just like a bunch of fucking dweebs being like oh yeah this murder happened just now or like somebody posting be like okay so Kira contacted me and this is what happened and just like a bunch of lies and like and like people going on wild conspiracy tangents because the internet is so different from the way it was in 2003 where it was just a bunch of different fragmented websites I think the subreddit for Kira would be even wilder than we think it would be because it would be full of, like, people bringing in, like, tips on who to murder. And then there would be a subsection of people, like, doxing the tippers. And then you would find out, like, Tumblr-level nonsense about them, like they're grave robbers, which is, like, a real thing that happened on Tumblr, if you don't remember. Um, Or that, I don't know, they drink... Uh, cow piss for fun or something you know it would just be like wild information about these people who are sending in tips to the Kira hotline Um, there would be like Kira BuzzFeed personality quizzes like which of Kira's victims are you (laughs) 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 there would be like a fan art of what people think Kira looks like and people would be it would be like uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson Miku binder where it would be a lot of people like headcanning Kira as not a white person and then people would be like Kira is God, so of course he's white. And then people would be like, no, they said he's in Japan. And somebody would come in and go, no, it will Japanese people aren't a monolith. And it would just be chaos. God, oh, and then those... there would be the crazy right-wingers who, you know, are doing the QAnon conspiracy theories about how Kira is about to kill all the pedophiles in the government mm-hmm. and in Hollywood. Yeah, any day and, now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's actually good to eat horse dewormer because that protects you from the death note or whatever. And then there would be the gamers who would come in and be like, yeah, see, this is why Dream is the only good streamer, because he goes by an alias and never shows his face. Kira must have contacted Dream. And (laughs) that would be like that. Incomprehensible nonsense. God, I... mm -hmm. Wow, this is... How could I forget Kira furry porn? (laughs) I just just watched the light go out from your... (laughs) The will to live. I've never seen that. Ever <laughs> your hair, before. your hair just turned all red, and my <laughs> eyes turned all blue, and like I just had to leave the room. <laughs> no, I, I've never seen that happen before. You just blinked and stared off into space, uh, and the light was gone. I'm yeah, so sorry. Yeah, you really. Yeah, that, there goes my soul. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I've never seen that happen that quickly. Uh, yeah, well, you said three words. <laughs> The three words that kill me instantly, so. And because, again, this is inspired by Five Nights at Freddy's. There's this weird um, kind of kind of mechanic to the movie of text tells him that you have to take breaks. So no matter what, at a certain interval of time, when Nick Cage's watch goes off, literally, he left a child in the middle of a death match with an animatronic. Because his watch went off, he has to go play pinball, and he has to go have a soda. It's 
it's no so matter good. what is happening. It's the best scene in cinema, I think. <laughs> uh, so, it is. so like what happens is Liv, you know, this poor teenager, she's been fighting all these, you know, animatronics and like half of her friends are dead at this point. And, you know, earlier on, you know, Nick Cage, like she, she had like run up to an animatronic that was just standing there because, you know, they, they stand at the podium and wait. Uh, but she like drew this knife and she ran up at the animatronic and Nick Cage just like blocked her. And he's like, no. No, they're not. They're not fighting. Oh, well, I mean, he didn't say anything, but his body language we was just it. like, you know, you, you can't fight them right now. And he takes the knife from her. Um, and also, it should be known that he drinks a soda called Punch. It's just called Punch. Uh, and he has like eight of them in the fridge. And he's like working on dusting off this pinball machine. And he's been doing that for the first half of the movie. But then like and this latter half of the movie where Liv is about to get like, you know, her last friend is killed by this big chameleon that like has a weird tongue and it snaps her friend's neck. Nick Cage comes up to save her. Um, and he's like, all right, we'll fight this chameleon together. And then his watch goes off. He looks at the watch and then he looks at her. He looks at the chameleon and then he pulls the knife back out and hands it to her and leaves. He just leaves in the middle of a confrontation. He just goes. We've mentioned a couple of times that this movie came out in 2009, it's presently 2021, sequels coming out 2022. So that's 13 years. Aaron, what the fuck is the viral marketing campaign going to look like for Avatar 2 2022? Because I'm already thinking TikTok filters. I'm thinking <laughs> we're going to be seeing a lot of blue teens. Uh, so definitely that. I think definitely billboards. Billboards everywhere, especially Please LA. Please describe LA to me one. the Avatar billboard, Avatar Two billboard. <laughs> okay, so you well, you generally find these in LA. Like LA does a lot of movie billboards. So I'm thinking that they find like a nice, um, like really palmy, like really green surrounded billboard, like for the Atmo. You know, I think that would be like a good one. And then um, it would have to be. Just bland enough to pull in the old audience, but, like, just cool enough for the new. So, Jake Sully leaping over the Avatar 2 logo with the, like, giant gun, the Navi-sized gun strapped to his back with three children in his arms so that we know it's a family film. And he's doing the DreamWorks face at the audience. Of, of course. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. If I, I was head of marketing for Avatar 2, <laughs> I would go the ARG route. Okay, okay, um, okay. Since most of the people who watched Avatar 2 are now people who use the LinkedIn platform. <laughs> Oh my our god. Avatar one. I would I would create an ARG based on LinkedIn where it's like, oh hey, here's this company, the RDA or whatever the bad guys were. And then like you have to go down the rabbit hole of like looking at all the profiles of the new bad guys, and then and then at the end you get a trailer for Avatar 2, and that would be great. Uh so oh god, Disney send me eighty five million dollars for that idea. What if they sent out a bunch of like recruiter messages? That'd be fucking sick, because I never look at those fucking things, but I would if it was from somebody from Avatar. Oh my god! And if they, yeah, because they would—I mean—they would have to be really blatant recruiter messages, right? It would have to be like we're recruiting you for a top secret Avatar, you know, something like that, where somebody would be like, "Wait, what the fuck is this from a movie?" And then you have to go down the rabbit hole. This is a billion-dollar marketing scheme. Disney, we keep telling you, put us in charge. 
We can do it, I swear. Oh my god. Aaron, that's fuck- I'm my cutting mind. this out. I'm cutting this out of the podcast and I'm I'm putting it in a, word, a separate document and I'm emailing fucking Bob Iger, whoever runs Disney at this point, and be like, yo, if you use this, you legally owe me a hundred million dollars. Or you can hire me right now for $50 million and also give me and Layla the rights to Kingdom Hearts. We'll work something out, I promise. Make us the execs. Let, let us talk to Squeenix. We'll, we'll, if you, listen, it's on Disney Plus. We can make Sora a Navi. I cannot wait for Kingdom Hearts 4 where Sora goes to Pandora and they all get their Pandora sodas. Goofy just has eight limbs and Donald is for some reason glowing. Oh, fuck yeah. No, Donald is that fucking, he's that fucking rhino thing. <laughs> With just a tiny wand. <laughs> oh, and then Goofy's the Turek Moktober. <laughs> Goofy uh, is the most fearsome predator of the sky, the last shadow. <laughs> and the, the last, last thing you hear before you die is, oh, young. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally crying. Um, oh, man. Disney, hi, I know we shit on you all the time, but we do it out of love. Hire us. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, he looks to his left. Who does he see, Layla? So my character's name is Carly, starts with a K, ends with an I, and she is a human from the Toy Story world who took a one-year break after college and fell in with an MLM called Slice Co. And she's a door-to-door knife salesman. And she will be playing the dark playbook. She's gonna girl boss the darkness. I only need five friends to join and then I get a bonus. Oh my god. I went to high school with her. I went to high school with Carly. We all went to high school with Carly. Great. Holy shit. Oh. Um. Um, so physically, she's just like a fit 25-year-old in some like, we'll call them fantasy yoga pants and like a like a yoga tank top with the Heartless logo kind of obscured by a tasteful uh, little cardigan, you know? Um, and that's, and her weapon used to be like an actual knife, but now it looks like a, like a knife made out of gummy because that's what all the weapons look like in Kingdom Hearts. But it's a big, a big, very big, like giant, you know, magically bound to her appears when she gets. Yeah, it's like Cloud's Buster Sword, but just a knife. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck me. Okay. Oh, great. I like basically everything about this movie except for the story, which is absolute dog shit. And I think we should start <laughs> interrogating that by talking about the characters. I think it's a very common trope to be like, hey, you remember Am- Avatar? Name the name that character. What's the main character of Avatar's name? Nobody knows who Jake Sully is until you're like, uh, I'm going to pull up Wikipedia and read his name out. Layla, tell me some things about Jake Sully. Uh, Jake Sully is a warrior from the clan Jarhead, um, by his own admission. Uh, he's just he, he is a fantastic case study on what makes the difference between a stupid man and a himbo. Jake Sully, not a himbo. He does not drink respect women juice all day fucking long. He's just kind of... He's not even stupid. He's just ignorant. Like, he's just an ignorant person and he's frustrating to watch. Because the inciting action of him becoming the chosen one isn't his own curiosity and willingness to learn the the nature of the Na'vi. 
it's him being in danger and Awa, the like magic tree at the center of their culture, choosing him for some reason. Because if Awa hadn't interfered, Neytiri would have killed his ass. And she should have. Yeah, I mean, God. This whole movie is rightfully criticized for being a big embodiment of the white savior trope, which, listen, not that many people listen to this podcast, um, but I'm, you know... I assume that everyone listening to this podcast does know what the white savior trope is, but if for some reason you don't, it is a common trope in European. I'm my reference point is American media, but there is a white person who goes to an indigenous land uh, in dances with wolves. It's a white person going to speak with native Americans in the last samurai. It's uh, Tom Cruise going to speak with the Japanese and he, you know, initially is there to take over their lands, but then he spends some time with them, realizes that's bad, and learns their culture and their practices, their language, their ways, and becomes better at their ways than they are, and becomes the whole reason that that people is either able to survive or make a heroic last stand, or something of that nature, right? And it's... I mean, right, I think it should be pretty self-evident why that's kind of a gross trope, right? It sort of takes, it makes it seem like, you know, the indigenous people, you know, the non-white people need the help of a of a white person to, to, to actually do anything to survive the, the onslaught of settler colonialism and, and imperialism. And that's, that's just not the case. I mean, we can talk about technological disparities, but largely, that's not really it, y'all. <laughs> But, you know, also technological disparities that are often the result of prior colonialism, right? That's what Black Panther was trying to kind of tackle is like, what would happen if, you know, Afrofuturism, that's the entire concept is like, what would an Africa be without having been held back by settler colonialism? Um, And it's like, I... Listen, we got to point out that all the people for working for the company I'm going to refer to as Amazon, because Amazon's everything, um, the mining conglomerate, uh, they're all light-skinned. They're all white, but they're all light-skinned. I don't remember seeing a dark-skinned person on screen among the humans. And then the Navi are all played by actors of color. That is a fact from the Wikipedia. Oh my god, I didn't so, even know that. Yes. I know Zoe Saldana is Neytiri, but holy shit, that's a bad that look, James. From, uh, my jaw cracked. I got so, <laughs> so mad. My jaw just cracked. <laughs> it's just such a bad look. That's the thing, right? It's like, this story isn't really anything like... Like, it's, listen, it's bad, but it's something like newly egregious you know like i'm not watching this going oh my god james cameron invented a new way to talk about you know white savior narratives no it's the same old same old but like so much money went into the same old same old and 2009 was just like not long enough ago for this to not be a terrible fucking look and the question i keep asking myself is is like how are we gonna do these sequels (sighs) Like, oh my god, here's the thing, like, like god, we haven't, we have not even talked about the rest of the characters we're getting into it, but like, <sighs> discourse, right, capital D discourse, uh-huh. has evolved so much since 2016 happened. In American, 
in American popular conversation, right, the rise of white nationalism, fascism is all tied up in Donald Trump's election. You know, the a lot of liberal, cap, you know, liberal people, you know, Democrats, including myself, um, who were kind of like, oh, you know, people are reasonable and, 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 you know, good will win out, sort of woke up and realized that we, America is not exactly a good or functioning state. Um, and like, uh, we have, it, the internet discourse and, and the Overton window has moved so far in the past four years, let alone the past 11, like, and the thing is, Avatar 2's been done. Avatar 3 is probably done at this point. The, they're going to be using talking points from, like, 2012. They're going to be talking about, like, fucking binders full of women and Psy in Avatar 2. And it's going to be, like, completely irrelevant. And they, ugh, like, James Cameron, because, because these movies take so fucking long to make, like, whatever narrative they're trying to advance, I can... It is almost a guarantee it'll be so far beyond, like, what we're talking about, and it's just embarrassing. Uh, there is... Listen, I think that the the most important theme of Avatar 2009 is that James Cameron is a fucking furry. Okay. Listen. (laughs) Those blue people are very sexy. There's no denying that. There's no denying that. They're very, very sexy. And uh, I do, I do not like, I was going to call him Josh. That's how forgettable this fucking character is. I do not like Chicken Nature. Um, I do think it's fucking hilarious that they fucked in the ghost tree. I think that's very funny that they fucked in We are in mated a before tree. Awa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also like that it was this very, like, very Titanic sex scene, you know what I mean? It was just a lot of, like, petting. But the thing is, he didn't have to, he didn't have to include that. No, that that was all. That was all. That's all James. That's That's like, that's like Tarantino being like, oh, I guess we have to have this foot shot very explicitly in the front Mm. of the camera. Like, uh, like also, like, I don't know if it was in the Disney Plus version, but I distinctly remember in when I was watching it in, in movie theaters, they're like hair braids tying together. Um, and <gasps> oh, my God, great, they did cut it out. Yeah, they, they cut that part out. And also <gasps> in, in the beginning, um, when Jake is first in his avatar body and he sees this like hair braid, um, Grace makes the joke like she says, you don't play with that. You'll gl- go blind. <laughs> so explicitly like this is your genitals. Um so like very funny that Disney cut that out. Firstly, secondly, just like they didn't James cut the wanted them line. to. F- no, <laughs> no, that's still in there. <laughs> yeah, they didn't cut out that because I guess it's you know veiled enough. But James very much in the original cut did want people to know the the sexual capacity of these these cool cat people. Well, the, uh, the braid thing too is very funny, just because the animation of like the tendrils is very like sensual. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like like a gentle, like a, a caress. A gentle wrapping to make the link. You know, it's very burlesque, the motion. <laughs> <laughs> Audience, uh, Aaron is making the, the nyan, <laughs> nyan cat. <laughs> exactly. I, th- I wonder how much fan art we could find of the Navi going nyan. Control T. All right, here we go. Navi. Nyan. K. 
cat neon. Huh. Hmm? Surprisingly, it's mostly neon cats. Let me add Navi avatar. Maybe take out cat. Yeah, let's take out cat. Huh, it's only the one. Weird. Huh. Guess I know what I'm doing next week. <laughs> yeah. <let's> just... <laughs> just blowing up the tags on Tumblr. Oh, Christ. Um. It is It is interesting, though, like how, uh, I mean, not interesting, mostly, you know, just the be what it be. But, you know, cat boys are, are looked down upon, are really marginalized in our society. And then James Cameron just stormed in and made them mainstream and no one batted an eyelid. I think that's the true white privilege is you can just be a cat boy. Do you think uh, Odd from uh, Code Lyoko would do well on Pandora? <laughs> totally 